episode 33. Today I'm speaking with Josh Fieldman from Rubicon MD about empowering the PCP. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today I'm speaking with Josh Fieldman from Rubicon MD. Rubicon MD is a tech startup with kind of an interesting angle. While there are a lot of tech companies out there engaged with providing patients with information, Rubicon MD's spin is to provide PCPs with information, specifically information from specialists in order to prevent needless specialty referrals uh, and, and keep the patients within the, the PCP environment, where, which is much more cost effective. I will let Josh tell you all about it. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Josh. Thank you for having me. Before we start talking about Rubicon MD, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what's your, what's your story? How did you come to find yourself working with Rubicon these days? I had a, a fun experience in 2013 and part of 2014 where I was working for a health IT company and we were acquired. And so as I was looking for what I wanted to do next, it, it just kind of took a step back and was realizing how much change was occurring for health systems in terms of entering more outcome-based or value-based uh, reimbursement models and the pressure that was on health systems. And so I was looking for a company that had some type of interesting product or service that, that could really help these, you know, these health organizations. And I, I came across Rubicon MD, and when I saw uh, the service that they provide, I, I really believed that it was a value-added service and something that could really help healthcare systems. So I was excited to join them last year. That sounds very intriguing, Josh. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Rubicon MD does exactly? Rubicon MD has a platform that connects primary care physicians to specialists, which allows them then to receive remote opinions. In essence, what we like to say is we're democratizing medical expertise. And so our goal is to allow more care to be given in a primary care setting which is usually more cost-effective healthcare, and it, and it also provides for a better patient experience. What is the patient experience that you're looking to upgrade? Healthcare, as we know, is changing from more of that what we call fee-for-service model to uh, some type of either outcome or value-based model, right? And so Health systems now are becoming more and more incentivized to provide good patient outcomes, great patient experience, and control costs. It's, it's the triple aim. A study was done a couple of years ago, I think in 2012, by the Institute of Medicine, and they estimated that roughly $750 billion, or about, of, about 30% of all healthcare spend, was wasted. And about 44% of that waste came from two categories, unnecessary services and an inefficient care delivery model. And so I think what we what we do at Rubicon, our platform really helps to reduce or eliminate some of that $750 billion waste. When you talk about patient experience, 
if you look at a patient experience in kind of today's model or you know yesterday's model of fee-for-service, let's say a patient has some type of issue. I'm a patient and let's say I have uh, some kind of rash on my arm. What I typically would do then is I'll go to my primary care physician and I'll say, hey, you know, I've, I've got this rash. What are we going to do about that? Primary care is going to look at me and say, you know, I think you should really see a dermatologist for that. And they're going to they're going to write me a referral. So then I'm going to contact a dermatologist, probably going to wait several weeks to be able to get in. And at that time, then when I go to see the dermatologist, I'm going to have a copay. I'm going to have a deductible. You know, potentially I might be taking time off of work or what have you. And then a couple of things might happen once I see that that dermatologist. They might say, um, oh, you know, what you have on your arm is simply contact dermatitis and here's some ointment and you'll be better in a week, right? And, and that was kind of then a waste of my time maybe or the systems. It was an inefficient use of the system for me to go see that dermatologist. Or the dermatologist might say, you know, you really do need to see a specialist, but that's really something for infectious disease, not dermatology, right? So then they write me a new referral and I'm back to square one. And now I'll have a schedule out in another few weeks. I'll have another deductible. I'll have another copay. I'll take time off of work again. In the current environment, that fee-for-service environment, there's not a lot of incentive for a physician to try to change this pattern. But as I mentioned, the healthcare landscape is changing dramatically, and physicians are being incentivized now to provide better care and avoid some of these unnecessary costs. How does Rubicon then help the PCP curtail that kind of inefficiency, which I'm sure increases the happiness of their patient? In other words, if I'm a PCP and I'm, if I have access to the Rubicon system, how does what you just described change? So in essence, we've kind of redesigned that referral process. In that same example, I have a rash on my arm. I'm going to go see my PCP. Now, instead of my primary care doc simply saying, I'm going to write you a referral, go see dermatology, the PCP would say, you know what? I'm going to get, a re I'm going to get an opinion from a dermatologist. I'm going to consult with a dermatologist, and then together we're going to decide on the appropriate treatment. Right. And so my primary care physician then will use the Rubicon MD platform to a specialist on the back end. The specialist then will review that case and provide electronically a, a remote opinion. So when my primary care physician then gets that opinion back, they can simply say to me, oh, yes, this is contact dermatitis and I'm going to prescribe you this ointment and in a week you should be good to go. Right. Or yes, but I'm going to send you to infectious disease or what have you. So you can, you can kind of see then how using the Rubicon MD platform really creates a, a much better patient experience because, you know, I'm not running around all over the place and, and, and spending weeks trying to get this care done. I can be treated within, you know, probably same day. And you can then see also how it avoids some unnecessary cost of having me go see a specialist when it's not needed or potentially doing some labs or images that were unnecessary as well. I can really see also how that would improve the coordination of care. I mean, one of the things that is widely complained about is it can take a really long time to diagnose a condition because no, none of the specialists are working together. As the landscape is changing, and again, as we move towards outcome-based models, I think the, the primary care physician is really meant to be the quarterback of my health care or have some type of care coordinator within, say, the medical home that's really going to oversee all aspects of my care. 
and to coordinate that. And so in some ways, the Rubicon MD platform then helps to close the loop on some of that because rather than simply, and again, in that same example, rather than sending me out to the specialist and maybe not even realizing what the outcome ends up being once I've gone to the specialist, uh, in this case, they're getting more information back. They're continuing to be the quarterback of my care. So let me circle back to something that you had been talking about before, which is the transition from fee-for-service FFS to pay-for-value. That leads me to believe that who is hiring you are systems of care. Systems of care are hiring us, yes, and, and, and kind of at the broadest or highest level. Really, it's, it's value-based organizations that have a primary care focus, right? So kind of like a, a physician-led ACO, for example, or uh, direct primary care groups, FQHCs. And when you say a primary care focus, do you mean an organization that is not an oncology physician organization, for example? What I mean by primary care focus is an organization that understands that the more care that, pe- that can be given in the primary care setting, the better it is, both in terms of outcomes, experience, and cost containment. Would you consider your average accountable care organization or you know IDN that is attempting to negotiate pay-for-value contracts as one of these organizations, or, or is that this a sort of sliver of the marketplace? No, I think I think that as these organizations are moving towards outcome-based reimbursement models, yes, I think most of them have this mindset of uh, primary care. Would it be only owned physicians that would tend to have access to Rubicon? Or if I'm a community PCP that tends to work a lot with a nearby IDN, does it does that matter? We're seeing use cases in a lot of different ways. It could be a kind of a fully integrated network where you have primary care and specialty all with all within the same network. Everybody's owned by the same organization or employed by the same organization. Um, but we see use cases for the example that you mentioned as well. I'm working with one system right now where they have a, a very robust specialist uh, network and hospital, but they're looking to grow. And one of the ways they're growing is by contracting with then more primary care groups out there. And they want those primary care groups then to be referring into their system when appropriate. And so they look at the Rubicon MD platform as a way to get the quote unquote right referrals into their hospital or into their specialist group. It, kind of what we call that term is uh, improving specialist utilization. Right, So they want more referrals into their specialists, but they want them to be the right referrals. So I'm a PCP, using your earlier example, patient wanders in with a rash, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. So now the patient's sitting in the exam room. What, what do I do as a PCP? As a PCP, then, again, you would use the Rubicon platform, and it can be operated as either a standalone web-based web version or it can be integrated into an EMR. And so what you would do is you, you know, as the as my PCP, your thought would be, I think I need a remote opinion on this. I think I can treat this here, but I want a little bit more information. And so you would upload some information on me. It could be uh, relevant history on me. It could be any medications that I'm on. You can then attach relevant labs and images that you've taken. And is this and th- all going on while the patient is in the exam room? 
It's probably going on while the patient is in the exam room, or it could be done after the, the patient has left. It might be the, the primary care that's doing this. It could be a nurse practitioner that's entering this information, you know, some type of physician extender. The PCP, then, if Rubicon is integrated with the, the EHR, they log into the EHR, and I'm assuming there's some kind of uh, plug-in or something like that where the information can be uploaded into a place that then gets hooked into the, the Rubicon network. Correct. Or if it's a standalone, you know, then they're logging into the, the Rubicon website, which they have access to. Then what happens? I mean, what what specialists is this going out to? You know, in the example that you just gave, it sounds like the healthcare system is using its own specialists. We can operate in a couple of different ways, but within our system, the primary care physician will select the specialty that they want to send this consult to. Again, dermatology, endocrinology, psychiatry, whatever it might be. We also have algorithms within our platform that do some, call it uh, keyword scanning as well. So there are times where somebody may be sending this to uh, a special a specialty that might not really be appropriate. And we may then identify that and then notify the primary care physician of that as well and say, are you sure you want to do it to, to this specialty versus another? They're going to choose the specialty that they want to send it to and we can we can set this up in a couple of different ways. So for an organization that has their own specialist network already, we can create the workflow that it gets then sent to their specialist. But we also have a panel of specialists on our back end as well. And so we can use ours. So for an organization that either doesn't have specialists or has gap in gaps in their specialty, or maybe uh, their specialists are very busy and they can't provide opinions in a timely fashion. They can use ours as kind of a backup or overflow. So we can we can set up the system to meet the needs of our particular customer, depending on how they want to do that. I'm a PCP. I, I see this rash. I think hmm, this is probably dermatology. I select I want this information to get shot over to a dermatologist. Correct. If, if I'm working in a integrated network that has dermatologists, then the algorithm might be set up so that that consult will go to an in-house dermatologist. Or if that dermatologist doesn't actually exist, then it might get sent over to a panel that, that Rubicon has on call. Exactly. We will work closely with that organization's executives to understand how they want their referral workflow to work. And we will set up our system to to meet their needs. Okay, so now let's look at this from the specialist point of view. Let's assume mm -hmm. that th that this is an integrated network that has dermatologists on staff. I'm a dermatologist. I'm sitting in my office. You know what happens? My my cell phone gives me a notification that I've got a case waiting for me, or, or how does mm -hmm. this work? Exactly. So you're going to get an email that there's a case waiting for you, and you can either log in to the Rubicon MD system, or we have a, an application that you can do on your phone as well. Specialists can bring it right up on their phone. They can uh, review the case right there. They can look at the pictures or what have you, and they can respond right from their phone if that's what's easiest for them. Who's paying for this? <laughs> I mean, if a, if a, is it the patient's insurance or is this? Nope. So the, so our customers, the, these healthcare organizations, they pay us to operate the platform for them. And so then the question usually comes, well, why would they do that? Right? Why do they want to pay for this? Well, again, because what's, what happens is we have found that 
on average, every time one of their primary care physicians will use our platform to receive a remote consultation or remote opinion, we will save their organization roughly $250, right? So you look at the different types of outcomes out there, avoid a referral, improve a referral, avoid a test, route somebody to the right specialist the first time, handle more within primary care, uh, avoid a hospitalization. You look at all these different outcomes and you put together some conservative numbers in terms of what each of these outcomes would cost. And, you know, the numbers start to add up pretty quickly. And who is paying the the specialist? So in other words, let's take the example that the that dermatologists exist within this particular integrated network. How is that dermatologist getting paid? Well, there could be a couple of different scenarios there. So if they're truly a, you know, a value-based organization, then their specialists really are incentivized, as is the entire organization, to improve outcomes and control cost, right? So in that example, you know, potentially the specialist doesn't need any additional compensation because they're part of an organization whose goal is to improve outcomes and reduce costs. And so that's part of the overall mission. And this is just part of, you know, part of their job. In other organizations where they, they might want the specialist still to get paid, then Rubicon MD would pay their specialist a, a per consult fee. It's not like the patient is somehow getting billed on the the patient's insurance or the patient themselves is not getting billed on the back end for the things that the PCP, the referrals, the remote referrals that the PCP might be making. In, in some cases, though, so I'll give you another example, though, in some cases where we have like a direct primary care organization, again, where primary care physician has a financial relationship directly with the patient or directly with their employer, Typically, then the way they charge is uh, uh, they charge their members on a monthly basis, and so in some cases, then in that type of organization, they might include different types of services like Rubicon MD service within their monthly membership fee. So you also work with direct subscription organizations. So you could also be hired directly by you know an employer. Probably not directly by the employer, but but physician groups or these larger chains that work with employers will then have financial relationships with employers and work to then manage the health of those employees. Let, let's take the other example where we're not working with an integrated um, delivery network that has dermatologists, which I'm kind of using as a proxy for any specialist, you know, in this example, but they don't have the appropriate specialist on staff. Then what would happen is your system would route it to one of your cadre of available specialists. And, you know, where are are these guys wholly employed by Rubicon or is this something that they have taken on as a as a side project? Oh, good question. Our panel of specialists, we pay them to provide these uh, remote opinions for us. They're not employees of Rubicon MD. We pay them on a per consult basis. And most of them are specialists from top, uh, top academic institutions from around the country. If I'm a, a PCP, do I have any ability to direct the, my inquiry to a particular individual? You know, if I work closely with a particular individual or I've had experience with them in the past, can I make that selection? Or does the, does the system kind of pick the person that would give the biggest, you know, the fastest response or something? 
It depends on who our customer is and how they want it set up. So again, for for a group maybe like a, like an ACO, if they have their own specialists, then they might dictate which specialists are supposed to get these. In something more like a, a direct primary care group or another organization that doesn't have a particular specialty, if they're going to use the Rubicon MD panel of specialists, either all or just some, then we make it anonymous. And we do that for a couple of reasons, but primarily we do that, well, we want, we want primary care physicians to feel comfortable asking whatever kind of questions they might want to ask of the specialist. We want the specialist then to provide an unbiased opinion back, right? And so knowing that they're not going to be the one that's actually getting this referral in the first place, we keep it, we keep it anonymous so that there's no bias whatsoever in terms of trying to get a patient to them as a referral. When you said you keep it anonymous, you keep the the patient anonymous or the refer the dermat the you know the specialist anonymous. We keep a lot of things anonymous. When we from the patient uh, with patient information, when we send information across our platform, it's desensitized before we send it across. So we're not sending PHI. We also then don't identify who the uh, primary care physician that requested the opinion is. And we don't identify who the specialist is as well. Now, we do provide a little a profile on the specialist so the PCP can see a little bit about you know, who's responding, maybe uh, what school they went to or something like that. We don't provide their name or their employer because, again, we want to keep that anonymous. And it sounds like the way that the system is built to operate is kind of a one-step exchange. In other words, PCP sends info to specialist, specialist responds with a one answer. It, it doesn't sound like this is a, a system that's made for a lot of back and forth. In other words, if the specialist has questions or something like that, then would the answer that the PCP gets back is you probably need they probably need to go see somebody? No, not necessarily. So within our platform and it's always more challenging describing it uh, like this than it is to just show somebody. But the specialist can request additional information. So this can be a platform that promotes a back and forth exchange. The specialist is looking at the case. They need some additional information. They can send that back then to primary care and say, you know, please provide this additional information. It's not the type of platform that our opinions typically aren't one-word responses or even one-sentence responses. The specialists do a really good job of providing a, a good opinion back. Sometimes it might be a few sentences. Sometimes it might be a few paragraphs. But they'll usually get a little more in-depth of, you know, this is what I think it is. If, if this patient were to walk into my office, this is what I would do or this is what I would be thinking. They'll also provide information back on things like, if this person should see a specialist, you know, please have them do these diagnostics first so that by the time they've got to the specialist, that background, those background tests have been done or those upfront tests have been done. Or they might even do the opposite and say, no need to do that MRI because that's not going to give us the information that we're looking for, right? And so in our system, we ask each primary care physician to tell us the result of each opinion or each consult, and there's four choices. Avoided referral, improved referral, gave the primary care physician peace of mind, or no effect, right? And so improved referral 
is kind of what I was talking about is, well, we got them to the right place, or we were able to, to do the right diagnostics up front, or we were able to avoid certain diagnostics that weren't going to be beneficial in the first place type of thing. Can either, you know, replace a visit or improve the the speed with which or the efficiency with which the referral can can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So what we're able to do is kind of decrease the time to treatment, if you will, the primary care physician, even if this patient has to go see a specialist, primary care then may be able to do some initial triage up front. And how fast is the average? I mean, obviously, the the, the transactions between the, the PCP and the specialists are, are obviously of all shapes, sizes, and, and colors. But what's the average length of a transaction? Is it like boom, boom, and the patient's still in the exam room while this all is going on? Or is it more of a, the, the PCP expects to send out their request, tells the patient to go home, and they'll call them tomorrow? We guarantee a response within 12 business hours. But typically, we see in practice, it's more like two to three. What would happen would be that the PCP would get the answer back from the specialist, and then someone in the office would call the patient and and deliver this information over the phone, or does the patient need to come back to the PCP? I guess it depends on what the treatment is going to need to be, but most likely I would think that they're going to, they're going to call the patient and, and say, here's what we're going to do, right? And they'll just give them the, that information. They might have to go back to the PCP to receive additional care, right? And that's kind of our goal then is to, to keep them at the primary care level. One thing that strikes me as, as we're having this conversation, and maybe it's just because I was speaking with someone last week who was working hard to help make PCPs more efficient due to the extreme shortage of PCPs. In the what Rubicon MD is doing is actually putting more burden on the PCPs. How, how does this play in with uh, the shortage? Do you have sort of any opinion on that? Well, yeah, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's, that that's true because what we feel like is if, if a group is using our platform, hope would be and our expectation would be that we're actually improving specialist utilization. So you think about how many times a, a specialist is seeing a patient that they don't need to be seeing, right? That patient that could be seen in primary care or that patient that comes in and the specialist can't do anything on the first visit because the right diagnostics weren't done up front. Let me rephrase the question because what what I was trying to articulate was actually that there's a shortage of PCPs. So do you think that it might be advantageous if a PCP is completely overwhelmed and overworked and they they can't handle the patient load that they have that they they kind of want to deliver the patient to 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 specialists simply because there aren't enough PCPs? That's a good question. I think that most primary care physicians have the mindset that they really want to take care of the patient and they really want to improve that patient's outcome. And I realize that there's a shortage and that they're very busy and they get to spend about eight to 10 minutes with a patient and what have you. But I really think that as we're moving towards, again, value-based or outcome-based models, these organizations are looking for more ways for primary care or a physician extender to be able to do more with these patients. And so hopefully, you know, Rubicon MD is a technology then that helps improve workflow and create efficiencies and not, and not the opposite. 
from your unique perspective, you know, what what's a critical success factor for an organization to improve the patient experience and outcomes while at the same time cutting costs? We're talking to organizations obviously every day. And if I'm if I'm talking to a, a healthcare executive, my primary advice for them would be to to create a culture within your organization that promotes lowering costs and promotes improving quality. It's amazing to me how many conversations I have with organizations that that are struggling with this cultural change. And instead of everybody kind of being on board with the same mission, it's more about battling internal politics and turf wars. I, you know, I think to be successful, it starts at the top and and you have to create a culture of a culture of change, but a culture that embraces this idea of the triple aim, improving the patient outcome and the experience and being cognizant of the costs involved. And I think the other thing too, then is, you know, I tell people all the time, think lean manufacturing. I mean, lean manufacturing has been around for a long time, right? Manufacturing has looked for ways of improving processes, creating efficiencies for years and years and years. And we need to be doing that in in the healthcare space. And so I think healthcare organizations need to be improving their efficiency. I think this is how healthcare organizations now are going to make more money is to be able to take on larger populations, be able to manage more and more lives, but they have to do that without simultaneously adding more resources and adding more overhead, right? So how do you do that? You use technology. You find companies where you can use a platform that'll help improve process, improve quality, improve patient experience without adding additional or unnecessary overhead. Those are the, those are the two bits that I talk about, it seems like, every day. Sage advice. Both of us attended, Josh and I attended the NYEC Digital Health Conference this year. And was it Zeke Emanuel who was talking about lean production? I believe so. If people are interested in learning more about Rubicon MD, how would they go about it? I guess probably a couple of ways. They can either visit us at www.rubiconmd.com or they can feel free to email me directly, which is Josh at rubiconmd.com. Sounds good. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Josh. I learned a lot. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at relentlesshealthvalue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, The cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is is also in that same right-hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then Each week, your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.